0: Jimmy's
1: Table Hey everybody, you're listening to the Jimmy's Table podcast, Jimmy'sTable.com. I'm your host, Jimmy Humphrey, where I like to have conversations about faith, life, culture, and sometimes food. So in today's episode, I have a special guest, Courtney Williams. Courtney Williams was raised the beautiful city of Belmont, North Carolina. He's an assistant vice president for the bank that I work with. Um, and a father of four beautiful children, husband to a very patient and equally as beautiful wife. Um, and he has graduated after attending South Point High School. Uh, he went to NCAT in Greensboro, a uh, historically black college. Uh, those formative years shaped Courtney's approach to life and gave him the pride that he was missing prior to attending this mecca. You can often see Courtney cheering his children during their games, and more recently, yelling at soccer referees on Saturday mornings. Uh, Today, Courtney, I've invited him to come on the show uh, to talk about issues regarding race. Pretty hot topic right now. And specifically, an idea he planted in my brain many years ago when we were talking about some things. He kept referring to a book called The New Jim Crow, Um, and he seemed to have a lot of influence from this book that shaped his way of thinking, amongst other things. And I've always enjoyed the conversations that I've had with Courtney on these sticky subjects. And uh, I think Courtney brings a lot to light that is good and right. Uh, we, we have our disagreements. I'm sure we'll disagree on today's podcast. But, you know, I think it's important to have individuals even that you may disagree with uh, on podcasts such as this simply for the purpose of conversation. Because I don't believe that we get any further in the making of this world a better place by simply yelling at each other on Twitter. Um, it's important to have sit down conversations with people, free flowing stuff, uh, and just to hear each other because you know, frankly, we don't hear each other very often. Uh, so I want to hear today what Courtney has to say. Courtney, welcome to the Jimmy Table. Hey, thank podcast. you, thank you, thank you, Jimmy, for having me. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity
0: to be on your platform. Yes, uh, I also appreciate the opportunity that you're willing uh, to have this difficult conversation. I think that that. Um, can solve a lot of things. Once we have that difficult conversation, I think that it's easier to move on. When I've seen your point, you've seen my point. We don't have to agree, but you have to recognize that I'm coming from an authentic place, and I have to also recognize that you're coming from
1: an authentic place. Fantastic. So, Courtney, let me tell you a little story, because I think we hear the term systemic racism... (laughs) And we don't really think that's a thing anymore because we think, well, civil rights happened back in the 60s. There are no official laws that say black people can't do this, that, and the other. Um, and so racism, whatever form it may exist, it's just something for the history books. And you might have a few old cronies still lingering around, but that's, that's not really a problem anymore. It's, racism is history's problem, not, not ours. Um, But, you know, and I've heard that perspective, especially as somebody as myself coming from, you know, a very white, middle class upbringing. um, Somebody who um, has not had to really see much in the way of racism. Racism hasn't been something that I have felt has negatively impacted my life too much. Um, But I I still remember this, this time at one of my first jobs about 20 years ago. I was working at a shoe store up in Huntersville. Um, and I only worked there for three days, but I remember this old assistant manager, I don't remember her name, but I'll never forget this time that I was working in the shoe store and she was trying to teach me how to be a good security because people love to steal shoes from shoe stores. Right. Um, and she particularly told me to make sure that I followed black customers around. And here I was like 17, 18 years old. Never really having like I thought, man, this is something like I read about in history, but I've never mm. actually had somebody in a fa- authority and power specifically tell me to target yeah. black people uh, as a matter of the policy, unofficial policy of the store. Right. Um, when when I tell this sort of story, what kind of sticks about? Um, about that to you, in light of historic racism and how we encountered it today versus the past. Well, I I, I
0: know you don't remember her name, but uh, uh, these days we call those type of people Karen's. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> so this would have been
0: shoe store Karen, a shoe
1: store Karen, absolutely. Um,
0: no, you know that that's a that's a theme that that's not uh, that's that's not exclusive to to Huntersville or to North Carolina, that's something that goes on across the country and I would Im- imagine across the world. Uh, in fact, I-, I think I remember a story where Oprah was even profiled right. at a, uh, at a uh, luxury item store I- in Europe. Um, the sad part about that is that uh, shoe store Karen actually believed that. And maybe within her experiences, that happened. But the world is much bigger than that, Karen. Uh, black people aren't stealing shoes, Karen. Uh, you know, there, there are places in Iowa, Karen, that I'm quite sure uh, that white people are stealing shoes too, Karen. So follow them. No, uh, seriously. It, you know, that those type of things, especially being so young to you, right? Uh, you take that. Even right. consciously or unconsciously, you take that with you into the next job you do. Right. right? So it sort of shapes you. And, and Karen's... Uh, cruel way she was shaping your belief, your beliefs right. in in the, the the
1: the black race, right? And, and it's it, sad. And it's something I've never forgotten to this day. Right? You know, it's amazing. I don't I don't know that it has, or maybe it has. I don't know. I, I can't honestly say if it has or not influenced me negatively. And it, it probably did at some sort of some subconscious level, yeah, no, especially absolutely. as somebody who continued to work in retail and restaurant type mm-hmm. jobs for. For years to come, you know, and while I would say that was probably the only time that I can consciously remember somebody specifically telling me yeah. such a thing, I just thought, wow, this is seems like of something of another era, like something yeah. that, like even living in the South almost my entire life, nothing that I had ever personally experienced, and I was kind of just shocked and mortified at the entire yeah. idea. Yeah, is that why you only stayed three days? Uh, no, Target. Well, it led me to decide. Like there were, it was a bad job, and yeah. like she was one of many reasons I quit. And then Target called me the next day and asked me if I wanted a better-paying job with better hours, and I took it. So yeah. I was just like, "Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to work in this environment." Yeah. Um, but no, I didn't, I didn't like quit right then and there, and I, you know I didn't go tell the manager uh, like, "Hey, you know, you're." I was just like. I was a stupid kid, yeah. like you know, I didn't know what to do, and it was I was so shocked at it that I was just like, man, what what do you do? Right, right,
0: yeah. So so I mean, um, obviously being on the receiving end of Karen's uh, uh, ignorance, I, you know, I've had multiple uh, situations where people have uh, wrongly um, followed me around in stores, thinking that I was going to steal. Right, um, it almost makes you not want to do that. It right. almost makes you not want to go to the store because you know that this is going to happen. And, and I'm not talking about in right. 1990. Right. Uh, when your experience I'm talking about today. Right. That, that uh, um, you know, getting followed around in the store. In fact, one of my more recent memories of this that that sort of jarred me uh, because, after, you know, after a while you can maneuver in life and not be faced with racism to a certain degree. Uh, but one of the more recent memories I have is getting on an airplane and they were loading first class and I had first class. And the uh, uh, the uh, stewardess comes up and says, uh, sorry, sir, this is only for first class. Oh. And I'm like, I have first class. She said, really? You know, I... Those type of things are drawing, they bring you back right. to reality, right. uh, a reality that um, sucks for most people, right. uh, but it, it, it is the reality. I showed her uh, the, my, my ticket, my boarding pass, I got on the plane, and I purposely drank eight vodka <laughs> tonics
1: and made the sewage work for that very reason. Ah, oh, that's hilarious. Uh, would you, how many would you have had on a normal day, Seven? Five. Uh, okay. Five. <laughs> okay, so, um, so, okay, here's a thought. Um, having had such experiences, I'm sure you can enumerate ones where you felt you were specifically being targeted out. Um, do you have anything that you've ever done where you think, I'm going to do something kind of as a proactive defense against... Potential racism when I go to the stores or anything like that like I'm gonna carry myself a certain way. I'm going to wear something a certain way like oh Absolutely, it's it's uh, you know
0: something like that coming from the town that I grew up in you almost have to uh, Differentiate yourself from that you know my wife uh, Can go to Harris Teeter looking any way she wants she's still beautiful, right? Uh, I go to Harris Teeter in a black hoodie I look like a problem, Right. Uh, so yeah, that influence that the the potential racism influences the way you speak to people, the way you um, the the way you dress, right. uh,
1: the way like right you now act. you're wearing a Nautica shirt, like you know you're not exactly wearing like. You know, hoodie down, or like you know something you might see in a little more urban. Well, no, body. black
0: people wear Nautica too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of we, all right. we, yeah, we, we yeah, don't yeah. all dress like we're about to go to a rap concert. <laughs> right, just, right. just so you know. Right, right. Uh, but no, no. <laughs> no. It, I think uh, I think a lot of us use uh, non-threatening dress, if there's a such thing. Right. Uh, non-dress, non-threatening uh, language, to, because we know. That something like that would ruin our day, right? Right, you know, just um, ha- having a great day, you went into the store to get a bottle of wine, and you go to the counter and say, Hey, I don't keep any cash in the counter, <laughs> you know, any cash in the register, and all you wanted was a bottle of red wine, all right, you know, and 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 you are a threat simply because you have on uh, a, a sweatshirt or right. you know, that you have your pajamas on or something. Right. It's, you know, it's it's a sad commentary. But I th- I think those are few and far in between right. uh, but they're still they're they're still real. I mean, my first encounter with true racism, systemic racism as you, as you call it, uh, was kindergarten. Hmm. Uh, when I was called the n-word by uh, a really nice girl who said uh, that she would be my girlfriend if I wasn't the N-word. Wow. Um, and that was a kindergarten. My son, who is, he's older now, his first run-in uh, was when he was in seventh grade. So maybe we've gone, right? All maybe right, they've spread right. it out uh, over eight years now uh, right. and it's it, it's not happening as early. Hopefully his kids... Don't, ex- don't experience it till they're in high school. Right. Uh, so and it gets better and better and better till
1: uh, those people are dead. Right. Yeah. With you, with your wife being white, um, has that pros a problem, especially here in the South? Have you experienced much, or do you feel like people are more accepting of interracial relationships today? Do you get com Do you get comments from her family, or and you can be careful right. you want no, to yeah no no uh, do you guys get looks and comments so especially so, in the south so when ashley so when ashley and i first got
0: together uh, her brother-in-law uh, was having some some i would say some substance abuse issues i, I assume um, and she got on the phone ashley got on the phone to defend her sister to him mm-hmm. over the phone and I could only hear, obviously, Ashley's side of the conversation. And I heard say, oh, my God, I can't believe you said that. And she started crying. I knew exactly mm. what he'd said to her. Uh-huh. Uh, and, you know, subsequently, he tried to apologize. It slipped out. He's right. not really like that. I actually knew the guy before. He actually, in fact, was like that. Yeah. Um, but uh, and I think he wore his unconsciously. Right. Uh, and at that moment, stress brought the unconscious mm-hmm. uh, to the forefront. Right. Um. So, and really, as in relationship, in our relationship, I've always been hesitant. Really, really cognizant of us going out. Mm-hmm. It, early on, it was me looking at everybody to see what their eyes were saying about yeah. us. Um. Maybe five, six years into the relationship. After we had our, our son, um, did I start to sort of ignore that? And I don't think I did that uh, um, on, on purpose. I think it was just, you know, I got com- more comfortable in the relationship. Uh, and it made me stop worrying about the outside forces in the relationship mm-hmm. and concentrating on her and I. Yeah. So those sort of eyes and those voices sort of faded away uh, to the background.
1: Traveling a lot for work, have you, especially in up north a lot, have you seen different, um, have you seen more or less uh, racial response, depending on what part of the country you're in, with all your travels?
0: No, so I so I mainly travel uh, to New York City, um, and I feel at home, mm-hmm. right? I think uh, everybody is mad at everybody, <laughs> regardless of race, so I, I think I'm, I'm a more, on a more even uh ground okay. when everybody's mad at everybody right. um i have seen I, I was in uh a part of indiana uh when the uh, uh the bathroom bill was first discussed mm-hmm. before it came here to charlotte right. it was a mike pence uh uh, uh pet in indiana mm-hmm. and that was going on and i went into a restaurant uh i, I believe it was up near valparaiso the Think, uh, and um, I was the only black person in uh, the the restaurant, with the exception of a cook uh, who looked out, saw me, and it was as if he hadn't seen a black person in fifteen <laughs> years. He came over, he gave me a hug, made sure everything was great with uh. me. He told the the waitress, "Hey, make sure you take care of him." Blah 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 blah. So really, I haven't. People have sort of embraced me. Now I will say. Uh, that I I make it a point when I travel, when I go out to restaurants, that I'm wearing my suit and tie. Hmm. Or, you know, suit, take off the tie, I'm still in a professional... Right. uh,
1: Because otherwise, I could be seen as a threat. Right. So, in 1964, Civil Rights Act passed, officially ending all the overtly discriminatory laws that we had that were on the books that said, hey, you can treat black people differently. Um, However, that didn't seem to cure racism just because it was off the books. Um, Even though there are no official laws now that allow us to officially discriminate against blacks or anybody on the basis of their race, some people would say systemic racism is just a myth that liberals feed minorities to perpetuate a victim mentality uh in order to keep them voting democrat. Right. How do you respond to that? How do you do you feel that in what way do you feel even though if there aren't any official laws on the books discriminating against blacks in what way do you feel systemic racism is still alive um even at government levels um and you know, what would you say about the victim mentality that some people often charge minorities of having um, in right, this country?
0: Right. The, the, those are both f- f- fair things, right? So I think to break that down, I think the first part of that is um, the systemic part, right? What, in, in government, what do I see that's still there? All right. Right. We can look at the makeup of uh, the government, right? It is a heavily... White male dominated arena.
1: Right.
0: So it it lends you to think that either something is going on racially, or that white men are the only people uh, that are smart enough to to get laws passed mm. in the United States, which we know right. they're very intelligent women. Sure, they're very intelligent African Americans. Right. That are not or very intelligent Latina Americans, right. very intelligent Asian Americans that are not getting an opportunity to be on that, uh, in that arena. And why why aren't they? Well, part of that is systemic racism. Maybe not the only reason, but certainly uh, the fact that there aren't they aren't getting an opportunity or haven't gotten an opportunity uh, as much uh, systemic or in institutional racism. Racism has a part to play in that. Uh, as far as the the liberal movement, uh, I consider myself uh, super-duper liberal. Uh, I consider myself a Democrat, but...
1: Are you voting for Joe Biden? I'm, what's the are alternative? You... <laughs> right? All right. Have you th- struggled with that? No. Oh, okay. No, no, no. No, 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 no. In fact, we
0: don't even need debates. <laughs> okay. Right? I mean, I think one... I support that. Like, one person has really shown who they are. Sure. Uh, and one person has really shown who they are. Right? We we know all who Biden is. Right. He's still a white male in America. Right? Hey, do I expect him to maneuver in life and to say all the right things as if he's a black man in America, right. or right. he's going to mess up just right. because all of this is a pro- all of this is new? Right? right? Taking respecting someone enough not to slip up and say things that, that may be offensive. All of that is new. Right. Uh, the 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 bill in 1994 that they uh, the crime bill in 1994 they, they gave them so much trouble with. Um, there were a lot of African Americans that wanted um, criminal reform. Crack was literally devastating towns right. and cities across this country. Mothers were crying. Churches were at you know they had they could do nothing uh, at that point. Right. Something needed to happen. Now, I will say um, that there could have very well been uh, a bit more thought placed into that 1994 bill, right? More perspective from the community in which it ultimately would affect. Right. And, there, and there wasn't. Well, the reason why there wasn't is because the Black Caucus was so small, mm. right? Who are you going to talk to if the, the only um, minority in the room... Looks like you, Jimmy, right? Right. You know, if you're if you if you're the only, and I'm as white as I come for those of you who've
1: never seen the picture. Right. If you're the only
0: person with uh, six generations ago of black descent, right. if you're the only, you can't really speak for. Right. So I, I think that they should have or could have reached out a little bit more uh, to see what those um, repercussions could have been for that bill, but I, I you know. I think it was um, one of the civil rights leaders in the 60s that said, we're not getting hung or hit over the head because we're a Democrat or a Republican. We're getting hung and hit over the head because we're black. Mm-hmm. I, I think maybe people assume now that all black people are uh, Democrats, but that's not the reason that George Floyd uh, was killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not the reason that Breonna Taylor was killed. They were killed ultimately uh, because they were a minority, because they were African-American and they were seen as a threat. Um, I think too often that, uh, oh, the liberals are are, are trying to uh, assuage you. You should vote Republican because Donald Trump has done so much for the black. That really undermines the intelligence of a black person, right? That liberals can magically make us do what they want us to do because they give us a Civil Rights Act uh, or uh, give us a, a voting sack or, or come to a church and wear kente cloth around the neck. I, I, th- I pray that we're a little bit more intelligent
1: uh, than that. Why, why do you think it is, though, that dem- demographically speaking, that African Americans have traditionally in recent decades overwhelmingly supported Democrat um, candidates versus Republican, even though they're just as white? No, you're you're absolutely right. I think the reason why, and I can't speak for all
0: African Americans, I'll certainly speak for me, the reason why I vote uh, Democrat is because they are more in line with my values. Mm. For instance, I think that um, the the Affordable Care Act was something that people, there needs to be universal health care in America. If we haven't seen that, certainly um, this pandemic has shown that there's a need for it. That directly benefits African Americans. Right. Uh, the idea that uh, student loans should be forgiven, that the idea that college should be free, those are things that absolutely directly affect African Americans. Now, you know, there's the term that uh, high tide affects all boats. Right. In, in, the, in this case, you know, that's the high tide. The high t- right. tide is these social programs that most Democrats uh, swear by. They affect us directly.
1: The Some people would say that um, capitalism is really the, the issue here, and this is why systemic racism continues to be an issue, because, one, all the white guys are in charge, and then all the white guys have the money. And because of the Jim Crow segregation laws of years past, um and because of redlining and things like that in which blacks were officially said you can't live here right. um and denied economic opportunity with all the results of what, what that comes with living in neighborhoods like mine right. um that um that as a result they have experienced um negative economic setbacks and that capitalism is actually the enemy and that we need a lot more socialism maybe not full-blown Bernie, but, you know, maybe something more in the middle, um, but do you look at capitalism as kind of being the boogeyman here as far as its impact on systemic racism, or is it really just, is it just because all the white guys are in charge and we just need to change the ratios of the representatives in government? I think I answer that
0: by saying yes. Yes to <laughs> No. No, seriously, I think that uh, in socialist governments, blacks are second-class citizens. In communist governments, if there are any blacks in those, or minorities, well, we know that there are minorities in communists, and they are uh, second-class citizens. In capitalism, the second-class citizens built the capitalism model that we have today, right? Mm-hmm. We, we would not be who we are uh, as uh, the United States of America if there was not slave labor. Right. We wouldn't be. I mean, that's so the foundation of capitalism in the United States. That capitalism experiment experiment started with free labor. Right. Um, Capitalism is the system that we live in right now, and black people are still getting their heads busted. Uh, Socialism is a great system. I agree that there should be some socialist programs in this country because they benefit everybody, but specifically, they benefit. Minorities and women. Um, now, do I think that we should be socialist? Absolutely not. So socialism, as it was during Karl Marx, they didn't answer the question of, of race. In fact, they were more concerned with working class, and racial, the racial element of it was ignored. Mm. They didn't necessarily have to deal with a, a racial element. They were more of a class society. The United States of America had to deal with the racial problem. Uh, Europe had to deal with the racial problems. Britain and London and those places had to deal with the racial problem. Um, Karl Marx sort of uh, ignored that, although uh, there was uh, rumored to be a conversation that was happening between him and Abraham Lincoln Lincoln, as um, the Civil War was going on, and he was in favor of the North. Uh, in fact, they we've heard, and I think you've heard too, that uh, one of the reasons the the North was able to uh, ultimately win uh, the Civil War is because uh, of social of of a socialist society where the 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 Brits and people in uh, and around that area, boycotted and wouldn't allow their government to help the Confederacy. Mm. So, you know, we are a capitalist society. I think that it works. In fact, I don't think you can have a social society without some capitalism. Right. Uh, but I don't think you can have capitalism without some socialism. Otherwise, you'll have anarchy from the bottom. Right. The bottom will
1: riot. Right. Is it too early to <laughs> Do you do you do you see? A lot of the civil unrest that we're currently having, especially in light of George Floyd um, and his death, do you think a lot of the rioting that we've seen within burning cities like Minneapolis I hear looks like a war zone um, and is actually worse than what we're actually seeing on the news? Right. Um, And do you think a lot of that reaction was more of something that was happening because of the economics of many minorities who maybe feel disenfranchised from the capitalist system? Um, or do you think, you know, or what, what is even your theory on that? Yeah, line? no,
0: so I, I, I think um, racial tensions from the black community's perspective has always been there. I think that the fact that we weren't protesting, the fact that we weren't rioting um, gave a false sense to white America that we were okay, but we were never okay. There was a sword, uh, as they say, the sword of Damocles is always hanging over the United States when it comes to racial tension. In any given moment, that sword can drop and start what happened uh, over the last few weeks uh, in the towns, across the uh, cities, across the country. Um, And I think that's forever going to hang over us. That sword is forever going to hang until we acknowledge that there is a root cause of it, and we, we, exercise the root cause of why racial issues are such a hot button in the United States. White supremacy is the basis of this, and until that's acknowledged, and until something happens to to that, um, I, I think this sword. If you will, will forever hang over the United States, waiting to fall at any moment. Right.
1: Now, the the term white supremacy can be kind of a loaded term, and it definitely inflames passions. Because when you say the term white supremacist, you're, a lot of people might imagine that you're saying everybody's dressing up like the Klan and going to the rallies and lynching blacks and right. that sort of thing. But I, I'm guessing that you probably don't believe that's how how most white people most white people would probably say. I believe all races are equal. Right. In what way do you think white supremacy exists? In a way that, and and are we unconscious of it? So,
0: when I say white supremacy, I'm not speaking of a specific uh, person. I'm I'm speaking of the idea of white supremacy. That that my life, my whiteness, my comfort in my neighborhood or at my job, is more important than the issues that any minority has, that m- my life, my happiness, is more valuable than yours. You know, I, and I don't know if if that's not human nature, right? right? I mean, we all believe we're more important than everybody else. Well, no, not all of us. <laughs> uh, but you know, some some people. We're all the
1: center of our own universe.
0: Not 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 so, some. of us believe that our lives are of service okay. or of service. Okay. That um, my happiness depends that that we're all a part uh, of one body, hmm. right? And that as Preach, I, as <laughs> I go, as I go, Jimmy. All right. Right. So you go. All right. Right. So. Um, And I believe that. I believe I I call people brother and and sister, and I mean it in that way. That we are a part of God's body. And my life is as important, my survival is as important as yours. So I don't want anything to happen to you. And I hope that you feel the same way about me. Right? And I think that if we live a little bit more like that, that gets away from the human nature of any sort of supremacy, whether that's black supremacy. Because I, I, I assume there is a, a black supremacy as well. Right. But certainly th- thinking that uh, my life is tied to your life, my happiness is tied to your happiness,
1: can take that, if it is human nature, take that element mm-hmm. of, away. Because I feel like when, I, like, I think what you hit on there with You know, even the idea of black supremacy is that I feel like a lot of whites, especially white individuals, I talk to, and I know when I first heard the term Black Lives Matter, I instantly my knee jerk reaction was, well, that's racist, and and maybe to some extent you one could argue that it is, but I feel like there, a lot of black people or a lot of white people end up feeling that that's a threat that that's not a true striving for equality of saying, hey, you and I are in this together, white black whatever. But you're actually trying to assert like a, a black panther, black power right. sort of philosophy. And, 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 and I've come and I've evolved my understanding right. of it saying, well, th- we're saying black lives matter because sometimes we forget that they do. Um, and we treat black lives as being more disposable than white lives. Um, and I feel like maybe you probably wouldn't ever get a, a white person to say that. But I know the conversations that I have with people and some of them that I hear, and you hear how quickly some people are willing to treat Black lives differently than White lives. Right. I mean, think about it. It's, you're, you're almost
0: saying, um, I mean, I could, I could certainly see how Black lives are more incredible. Would be uh, right. You know, that, oh my God! They're saying they're more incredible right. than me. Uh, but right. But as the comedian says, it's just just matter. Right. Black lives just matter right. right I mean that's almost right. the lowest that it could be right, right? Um, and maybe they should have put a 2 after it black lives matter right. 2 or black lives matter also I don't, I don't know but you know I, I can see how uh, the that threatens people because if you say in 2020 that black lives are equal to mine then you it, it also gives you the impression that you could potentially be taking something away from people, right. Right? right? If if now you want equality, then you're taking away my dominance a little bit. Right. I don't think that there has to be that uh, give or take. I think that you can uh, you can give equality, and you guys not you guys, when I say you people, I mean, (laughs) you people, people. oh my goodness, you 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 just insulted me on my own podcast, you heard it. No, when when I say, when I I say that, I mean, I I think we can come to uh, an agreement that, hey, blacks can have equal rights and whites don't have to give up their supremacy. Right. But, you know, people don't think of it like that. They think that if you're getting something, if, if, they're getting something, then you're giving something
1: up, right? I, I feel like sometimes in conversation I've had with some of my white friends and family and stuff like that, that it feels like some people are saying, well, they're not really looking to make things equal. they're They're really like engaged in some sort of Marxist class racial warfare into which they're they're not interested in equality, but they're interested actually in triumphing over. Them And actually being able to say, turn the tables and say, now that we're in charge, we're wanting to crap down on people. Do you feel like there are some people who feel that way in the Black Lives Matter type movement? No, I
0: I completely agree with that. I I completely agree that there are some people, there's an element uh, to the the resistance uh, that want to be dominant. I mean, we all read Animal Farm. We know what ultimately happens once uh, the pigs get in charge, right. we, we know that they end up being just like the people that they
1: conquered. Right. So do you feel like we have made significant progress since 1964 in Civil Rights Act? Do you think, um, how, how this idea of the new Jim Crow, do you think it's as bad as it was pre-1964, or do you think... You know things are significantly better, but we still have things that we need to address. And what would you address?
0: Right. So here we are. We're we're talking about this in two thousand twenty. Right. So we know for a fact that things aren't as as good as they can be. And right. I and I and I said this earlier is that I think if if you don't tackle the root cause, and and people aren't uh, mature enough or care enough about it to have that conversation, I don't think that we'll ever. Fully reach whatever the epitome of uh, race relations are supposed to be. I don't think we'll ever reach that. Um, I think people like you and like me uh, and the the small rational people that are in this country can push it forward, uh, but it takes a lot of work. Work that you know that some people are not.
1: Some people are not um, up for because they have their own lives. So how do we address the, the, the core issue you've identified as white supremacy? How do, how do we fix that? I mean, we've already passed all the laws. Can we pass other laws that stamp out white supremacy? And, and, I mean, or is it just a hard issue? Because I know I hear a lot of people, especially in the church, say, oh, racism is just a hard issue. Yeah. Well, all I know is even that may, in many ways that may be true. Jesus died 2,000 years ago and the world's still full of racists. Right. Um, and lots of people that accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Right. Um, even like ones like Jonathan Edwards, great revivalist of the great awakening, right. also owned slaves and wrote his sermons on the back of the notes he bought his slaves for. Like, right. so Jesus, you know, change heart. I mean, okay, but, and I, I believe in change hearts, but like, is it something beyond just like, we just need an encounter with Jesus. You just need something to change your heart. So I,
0: I heard the phrase that, uh, we shouldn't, we shouldn't throw out, we shouldn't throw out good, uh, trying to achieve perfect, right? Right. Um, for us to think that we will be able to change race relations in America and everybody will be on board with it, that's, that's, that's nonsensical. Right. But as I said, I think... That there's always going to be the Karen at the, the shoe store. There's always going to be Karen at the shoe store. Right. But I think, Jimmy, that the, these conversations are important. Right. right. I think that rational people, us few... We, we get out, we do the work, we have these conversations. We teach our children that, hey, every person is valued in the eyes of God, right. in the eyes of humanity. Everybody deserves love and deserves equality. I think that's how we get through it. I don't think you can legislate your way out of this. I don't think you can march, protest your way out of this. I think that it, it takes uh, work from grassroots uh all the way up to the top. Now, I certainly think that there has to be some leadership in that. There has to be, uh, whether it's the you know president of the United States or someone, but there has to be someone that's not flaming the fires right. of this while we're trying to do the work. Right?
1: Do you think that racism? Being, it, it, I almost feel like, to some degree, like I know there's a famous quote that says racism is not something we're born with. I think it was Mandela, if I'm not mistaken. Racism, or Tutu? I forget his name. Uh, but racism isn't something we're born with, it's something we're taught. But I almost feel like, to some degree, that that's almost wrong. I almost feel like that there's always this sense in human nature in which we seek homogeny and that we seek to be around people who are like us and we just naturally gravitate towards that, and we are automatically suspicious, uh, suspicious of outsiders and others and people that aren't us. Um, you know, we're we're naturally more suspicious of people outside of our immediate family than we are our immediate family. Although they can be kind of shady too, right. uh, but we but we know they're coming with us, right. uh, coming after us. You know, um, so it's no, there's no secrets there. But do you feel like then that perhaps we all have this natural propensity to bias towards prejudices that? Um, that make us this way, and that's why we will always have the Karens of this world, no matter what we do? Yeah, so, I, and it looks like I, I agree with uh,
0: the fact that there are always going to be biases. Right. It's human nature. In fact, it's probably a survival tactic. However, I don't think that those biases should be based on purely the color of your skin. Right. right? Give me an opportunity to piss you off before you hate me. <laughs> right? Right. Give me an opportunity to make you, you mad. You used to do that all the time right, in an yeah. office, Courtney. Give no. me an opportunity to make you mad <laughs> right.
1: before you choose not to like me. Right. To circle back to the idea of victim mentalities, do you think there is very much a, a victim mentality that exists maybe among blacks, minorities, uh, immigrants, and things of that nature who, who, even though the system isn't officially against them, that perhaps they carry some baggage, and maybe it's just emotional baggage from years past when the system was officially against you. Like, like that's one thing I personally kind of feel like ex- complicates these matters. Is, is I can forget that my parents grew up in that era, right? Um, and their parents were baptized in it, right? Um, and so, like, I, like I think I always personally feel like there's we're always carrying somebody else's luggage in this battle, um, and and it keeps us from being able to move forward, do you think perhaps some of the, maybe if there is a victim mentality, do you think there is one? And do you think some of that is more psychological than necessarily like the system's out to get you? So I, I think
0: we are all starting to say words like systemic racism, um, white fragility, right. microaggression. Those words are coming to the forefront. You're hearing, you're hearing them from uh, the halls of Congress. You're hearing them from... Uh, the Gaston Gazette newspaper, and we're uttering those words. So those conversations, whether or not systemic racism happens or whatever, those conversations are going on. Right One thing I don't think anybody is in dispute of is that blacks are in fact victims, right? Right. Uh, we have, and I say, and I include myself. Uh, Americans have a way of blaming victims, absolute victims, whether it's rape victims. Uh, Victims of, you know, any kind of victim, we have a propensity to blame victims. Black people, minorities are victims of a lot of systemic racism throughout the years. I don't think that we can argue over that. Now, whether whether or not some of that is psychological, I think that's a conversation we can have. But the fact that they have been victimized is not in dispute. Right. we, we are victims. We are victims of, uh, some of us, most of us, some of us, I'll say, are victims of bad schools, yeah. bad neighborhoods, because of the redlining that you mentioned earlier. Right. Uh, we're, 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 we we uh, are v- victims of absent parents. Mm-hmm. We're victims of, because of redlining, because of over police enforcement in neighborhoods, because of the war on drugs. We tend to have single-family single family households. We're 100% victims of those things, mass incarceration. Um, so I think we are victims. Now, again, we don't like victims. Right. Americans don't like victims. No. Because we all feel like we're a victim. <laughs> right. right? We all feel like somebody did something to us. Right. Uh, so um, we don't want to hear you bitch and moan uh, that uh, that you grew up in a single-family household because your dad was arrested and did 20 years for having three ounces of uh, of, of weed in his pocket. Just pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Was, everybody doesn't have a bootstrap. Right. Right. Some right. people don't have boots. Right. <laughs> Jim, some people don't have boots. Some people it's have good. been wearing flip-flops because they don't have boots. Right. But no, I, I know what you're saying. I, I wish that there was uh, a real thing right right. those are those when you have been you know i think saying systemic racism is is sort of a nice word but when you say institutional it makes it seem bigger than it is Right. right so the institutional part is so you grew up uh you grew up in a single family household you were redlined so you live in a neighborhood uh that is Poverty stricken, right. and we all know that poor people commit crime, right. right? That whatever color they are, right? Poor people commit crime, Poor well, they, they get to the,
1: commit the crime that gets you to jail for a long right, time, because right? Because somebody's <laughs> looking at them the entire time, <laughs> right? Uh, poor, you got to go work for the banks, kids, yeah. it's better. No, <laughs> yeah, poor kidding. people have bad health
0: outcomes, <laughs> right? Uh, probably for those same reasons, sure. um, and then you mix that with. Uh, poor people not owning property. Right. Black people being proportion, over-proportionately poor not owning property so the resources in the neighborhood, the tax base is smaller so the resources are smaller so you have a bad school. Uh, in order to have a, the, the bad school, no teachers want to teach there yeah. but the teachers that are there don't want to be there so right. they underteach. Right. It's the institute. The entire institution is what takes you to the point where you're being pulled over by the cop right. And in your mind, you're saying enough. Enough of this. And that transaction can change the world. Right. That one transaction, because of all of this institutional racism that's happened up until that point, you get to a a point where, hey, you know, I can't
1: take this anymore. So even though we have got rid of all the, the, the Jim Crow laws, we're still essentially living with the dividends of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that, that well, you know, your mom was forced to live in i I'm not your mom in particular, no, 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 no. but somebody's mom was forced to to live in a neighborhood because that's what the law said, they, they could only live there. Well, that was away from the jobs. They had to go across, and then they couldn't get a good job, no good education. So poverty and all the associations that come with poverty uh, happened to them, and now their kids get to grow up and, and living the life in that life cycle that,
0: right we, like, right we know that we know that poverty whether it's black or white right. po- poverty is generational right if you if your mother lived in poverty right. there's a higher percentage that you'll live in poverty right. poverty right. i mean it's it's that easy so if we're looking for an absolute aspirin to stop all of this multi-generational poverty multi-generational racial issues we could point to pre-K. We could point to better funding for schools. We could we could point to education as being hey, if we can't do
1: everything, let's just do this. Right. So do you? Th- so we. But we've had somebody might argue well we've had programs like affirmative actions, uh, special loan programs for minorities, school opportunities, um, things like that. Um, do you think those have been? A step in the right direction, and do we need more of those types of programs? And at what point do we cut it off? Like, how long are we going to have affirmative action? How long are we going to have special loan grants that banks like what we work for give specifically minorities that I, as a white guy, can't ever get, not that I need it, but right. Well, no,
0: you could get other grants. Right, right, right.
1: Generally, your. Uh, I just have to go to show the, my skin color and yeah, they're going to be like, oh yeah, just come in here. Hey, just hey, chi- just, no, just to sign say, the line to All you have to <laughs> say is,
0: hey Chip, remember at church on Sunday <laughs> right. talking about going to the, right. the golf course right. after this? Right. No. Um, yes, those programs are necessary. Okay. Right? Because too many times people that make those decisions unconsciously, right, right, pick the person that looks like them or. Depicts the, the person that has. Oh, I went to this school too. Right. Or oh, I know where that town is. Or I lived. In, oh, I played for that soccer team. Or I, they they pick people that they're familiar with, and that's right. that's you know the
1: human nature.
0: It's human nature, right. but there's an unconscious bias right. that's making that person, that applicant, not get it right. because they didn't enjoy those same life moments that the person that's making a decision did, I think when you put affirmative action in there, you sort of level the playing field a bit more. Now, I I certainly don't believe that uh, affirmative action recipients should have less academic or uh, experience than the person uh, that didn't get the job. I think all things being equal, then affirmative action helps. It helps you diversify your school. Helps you diversify your job, and a diversity of thoughts, and a diversity of ideas, because clientele is not is not all white, right? right? Black people have money now, right? Uh, 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 I saw the Cosby uh, Show, right? right, right. Uh, I saw the Jeffersons, right? So you, you want to to have a diverse. Work pool, a diverse school right. to reflect more of what society is, more of what your customers are. Right. I think that it's very important to have that diversity uh, in ideas, and it's disappointing when um, that is the that is the talking point that we have. Hey, we we want diversity. We want right. diversity, and then. The people that are talking about it don't actually
1: do it. Well, I've heard that they end leveled up against th- like Facebook and stuff. Like yeah. they talk a good game about yeah. increasing minorities, and then like five years they've increased yeah. like half a percent from the three percent.
0: Right, right. It, don't talk about it. Do it. Right, right. We we see um, because the the rhetoric helps. Right, right. We see that if you talk about. Oh, all lives matter, but black lives matter at this point. Those companies that are saying that they're getting dividends for that conversation and whether or not they do anything in the back office uh, is yet, it remains to be seen. Uh, And then the opposite of that, when you say uh, like the the guy from CPI, when you say uh, (laughs) the opposite of that, and then on Monday, I believe the brother was, was kneeling Talking about all lives matter. He right. should have had a kente cloth on like <laughs> Pelosi and those guys. <laughs> right. But, um, I, I think that there there's value. There is um, extrinsic value in being diverse. And then there's some intrinsic value as well in being diverse. So that you won't have to suck it up and come out and apologize for something that you said that was tone deaf. Right. Because you have that person in the room or those people in the room that can correct you before the memo is sent out. Mm. I think that's important. I I think that affirmative action helps that. Right.
1: Do you think there's a point where we need to cut it off, though? And how would we know? Well,
0: when we don't have to have this conversation anymore, Jimmy, Mm -hmm. when there are no uh, biases that eliminates or puts one race or one people in the corner uh, and allows the other race to sort of dominate. Mm. I, again, I think diversity is very important. Right. Um, you, and, and the more you and I are around each other, right. the more we like each other, right. the more some of those uh, stereotypes that I had about uh, curly-haired white guys <laughs> disappear. Right. Right? Absolutely. Uh, and I think that's important. It's, it's easy to be in an echo chamber uh, and you think uh, that everybody around you, including your church and right. your parents and your wife... And everybody thinks the exact same, so it just reinforces your ignorance. Right. It's important to get out of that echo chamber and get into the real world where right. there are multiple um, voices, multiple right. um, um, outcomes to, to to people's lives, not right. just what you see
1: on Fox News. Right. How do you, How do we? I think that's a big thing. How do we get out of that echo chamber? Because it's I know it's so easy to fall into and. I mean, I, like, for example, I look at my church. I go to the yeah. church in the South Park area. Yeah. Well, you can probably guess what this air, the church in the South Park area I, looks like. I'd imagine, yeah. Full liberals. <laughs> right. No, no we're, we're actually a fairly conservative evangelical church, but yeah. we, we, we're very sensitive to racial issues and yeah. racial justice issues and things of like that. Um, actually, I had a kid on my podcast last week. Um, uh, Max, he went to the Black Lives Matter NAACP rally up in Charlotte two weeks ago. And, you know, he's been one of the kids I've, you know, taught about Jesus to. Um, So, like, but at the end of the day, I go to my church and it's 99% white. Right. Um, I look around in my neighborhood and there's a couple black people that live on the street. But it's, again, mostly, mostly white. Yeah. Um, And so being that we kind of live in our own echo chamber is always kind of, you know, seek out our own, even right. un- unconsciously, well-meaning. Because it's easy, and, and 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 frankly, I don't know that there's ever going to be too much that changes. It seems like, especially here in Charlotte, where we have that very like specific piece of the pie of Charlotte right. that's in its little bubble. How how do we get out of our echo chamber? How do we? become more diverse how do we bridge those gaps especially when you walk down the street and you're not intending to live in a all-white neighborhood maybe you are um, but you, you're not intending to try to be racial um, and, and making those decisions you're just wanting to live in the best neighborhood with the best schools right, uh, and the places that have the best police and, of course well, just like everybody else in course, America just
0: like everybody else. Yeah, uh, yeah and,
1: and so how, how do we overcome that being that we just kind of still naturally live in those environments?
0: Yeah, I mean, listen, Jimmy. That's a very difficult question, and I don't think that they've answered that since eighteen sixty six or yeah, eighteen sixty eight or whenever those dates were. Right. Um, as I said, I, th- I think you uh, you do it this way, right? right. Uh, uh, um, the the term uh, how do you how do you eat an elephant? You take right. one one bite at a time. Right. And I think the first bite is having these conversations, and it's uncomfortable. Right. Sure. As much as I like you. Uh, I've I've never, I've never been to your house. Right, <laughs> we've, we've been, I think we've hung out a few times, like when we traveled yeah, together. Sure, yeah, sure. Uh, but so this wasn't the most comfortable setting coming it smells to like you. Republicans over here yeah. it does I, 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 I thought I saw Mike Pence uh, in the bathroom when I was let that, it go. I meant to take that picture down I'm sorry yeah. you know. but no seriously it, it's I mean it's just not the most comfortable Sure. The, the beginning steps of this is not the most comfortable thing but after a while after we spoke after no. we talked uh, it gets more comfortable it sounds like our wives are downstairs right. chopping it up right. and, and having a good time um but it starts with that uncomfortable hello, sure.
1: right?
0: Right, and I think and I think we uh, as adults right. tend not to have that uncomfortable uh, hello right. uh, as much as you know my kids would do, right? right. Uh, you know, it's we have a a niece that is uh, just turned seven, and um, we take her everywhere. we call her a social butterfly because she'll go to the mall. It's South Park Mall uh, when uh, little kids are are walking with their parents and she'll go up to them and say, hello, what's your name? You know, and that'll start that conversation. Uh, As adults, we are unwilling or we're not unwilling, uh, but it's not as easy for us to have that conversation. Right.
1: Yeah, I I agree. And. And you know that's one always been one thing been my I don't know how much you listen to my podcast maybe you don't um, but uh, the, with Jimmy's ta- the, I call it Jimmy's Table on purpose because I always felt like you know especially in the scriptures Jesus was always having uncomfortable meals with uncomfortable characters and everybody always wanted to call him out on it. Um and uh, so I thought hey I have to you know invite Courtney over he's gonna make me noodles I'm going, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's gonna make my never my, my housing value just plummeted yeah, yeah showing up on yeah. my doorstep yeah. no no kidding um but uh, no but I, I feel like um that like we don't have those conversations and we like there's nothing more um you know religious and spiritual than your willingness to sit down with somebody across from the table look them in the eye and have a conversation. Uh cuz we can all yell at the TV. We can all yell at Twitter. Um and we can all protest in the streets. But and I think there can be good from all come from things like that. I'm not against like protesting per se. Although personally speaking, I think most protesting is ineffectual. Uh you got to it's got to be riots that do the real business. Um <laughs> some, some have some have argued that. <laughs> and, and and you know, somebody once said uh Dr. King wouldn't have existed if it weren't for Malcolm X. Um and that he wouldn't have been as successful had you never had somebody that thrashed out a little bit more. But
0: but even in those peaceful protests that that Martin Luther King took did in Birmingham and right. and those places, there was rioting on the outskirts of it, right. and the same thing, the same accusations were made then right. as are being made now. Sure. Hey, that wasn't our people doing right. that. Right. So you know who who does who does rioting and looting. Benefit right. in a peaceful protest. It certainly doesn't benefit the, the protesters. Right. Um, so who would have uh, who who would have who who would benefit more from that happening? Right. Right. People who don't want Black Lives to Matter. Right. So you know, as a black man, I've always been a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> uh, but that 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 is to to me is something that wasn't even. Uh, Something that should have been questioned. We knew those peaceful protesters weren't right. weren't the ones busting out windows right. and doing all that stuff. We right. knew fr- from the black perspective. We knew who right. they were. Now, who was going in and getting their Jordans and things like that? You know that uh, that would have happened if that the white w- liberal kids who no well them, <laughs> them and and the black kids. But if right. you take took that to Des Moines, Iowa, right. and you busted out a window, they would have been. Looters loot. Right, that's, right. that's what they do. Sure. It, it doesn't matter what color they the are. Yeah. It, it, looter is a looter. An opportunist right. is an opportunist. They don't have a color. Right.
1: <laughs> yeah. But I but I feel like definitely that sitting down, having conversation, almost might see like, well, we've had conversations and blah, 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 and we're not invited to the conversation or we're left out. And I was like, well, but I think it has to happen much on a more individual basis. Like you said, because we can try to do it in a very institutional level where you and I work try to do it at a very institutional level and I don't know how much that works or how well it works if it works at all. I've been part of diversity uh, inclusion teams and stuff like that and mentorship programs and and whatnot um, do I do not I know how well those things work? I don't know, but I feel like you know this when God wants to change the world he gets people to sit down and meet. Uh, and Jesus did that with the Last Supper. Uh, and he did that all throughout his ministry. Um, and so that's definitely something that my podcast has personally been about. But anyway, uh, so um, final word. Is there anything you'd like to address that we haven't talked about today so far? Or do you want to leave us with some Jerry Springer-type wisdom? Uh, no, last I, I definitely would like to to, to give a quote from... Uh, from The
0: Fire Next Time, which is a book that I think if my white friends are wanting to understand uh, the current mentality of the African American population, it's a very good book uh, to pick up. But uh, a line from it, um, uh, James Baldwin argues that if we, and I mean the relatively conscious whites and the relatively conscious blacks who must, like lovers, insist on or create the consciousness of others. Do not falter in our duty. Now we may be able, handful that we are, to end the racial nightmare and achieve our country and change the history of the world. He argues, as as I said earlier, that there's no way that we're going to perfect this, Jimmy, uh, but we can get it good. Right. And there's no way to not. Th- th- there should be no reason not to to get it to good, because we can't get it to perfect. And it's everybody's not going to be on on board. It's going to be you, you and me, uh, and, and uh, as he says, a handful uh, of people, right? And so I think this conversation, you take you take this out the the couple of black neighbors that you said you have, right. go up, shake their hand or give them a elbow bump as we do in this. Pandemic era, right. and, and introduce yourself, right. and, and you know tell them something about you. I guarantee you that there's more in common with them than you would think. Right. Uh, and and lastly, as you said uh, about Jesus having uh, dinner with, ha- having multiple people, multiple types of people at his table, I think that the way I interpret the Bible is that most of the people that Jesus, Jesus had with him or imperfect people, right? And I think that it takes uh, sort of a person that is imperfect uh, to be able to receive God's gifts because they don't think they deserve it, right? Grace is something that we all can benefit from and that God has bestowed on most of us. So I think of all of this, one of the, the most disturbing things that I've heard is how people have vilified George Floyd and right. how his past somehow justified him right. having a knee in his neck right. for eight minutes and 46 seconds. And there's nothing that a man can do uh, to deserve to be lynched on national TV. Right. Um, and it's it's amazing uh, how... A person, as they say, with a, with a record like George uh, Floyd had, can be vaulted to those heights that he has. His name has been mentioned by the Pope, by the president, by the president of Australia. by the, uh, All across this world, his name is on the tongues uh, of dignitaries. And there's only one person that can do that, and that's God. And so um, what a mighty God we serve when someone like George Floyd can be uh, such an instrumental part in the
1: change that we'll be talking about uh, in 50 years. Mm, That's powerful. Yeah. Well, Courtney, that's your final word. Thanks for coming on the podcast, man. It was a pleasure having you. Uh, Good conversation to have. I always enjoyed these conversations back when we used to work in the same department and when we had them out loud in front of everybody else.
0: Clearly, I'm no smarter. I felt like I...
1: (laughs) Stumbled all the way
0: through this. Oh man, you're Hopefully great. Hopefully you can edit the crap out of oh, this. Oh,
1: I'll, I'll make you sound perfect. Courtney. Yeah. I'll, I'll take that. Thank so. you, man. Yeah. I appreciate
0: it. And I appreciate, again, I appreciate the conversation. It's not easy. No. Uh, but uh, I'm glad that, that we we're able to do it. Listen, in, in no way would I ever want to hold up a mirror to someone yeah. uh, to show them the ugly parts of things that they may have or may not have benefited from no one wants to feel guilty about being white right but no one wants to feel guilty about being black either mm-hmm. and I think we all agree to that
1: right amen good thoughts well if people want to contact Courtney there's a email address in uh, the show notes that I'll make public so just check it out at jimmystable.com I- uh, for the episode for this and uh, you can email all your thoughts to Courtney I'm sure he will be more than happy to dialogue uh, with you and I as well if you want to email me Jimmy at com. check me out uh, website share this podcast I think it's been an important conversation to have and I'm trying to continue to have conversations like this as much as possible uh, especially as a nation you know this has been a hotbed issue in our culture and I think it's something we do need to progress on uh, And I thank Courtney for being an individual who kind of maybe nudged me along the right direction at one point in in some of these conversations because I used to be very hardcore Republican sort of mentality and I would have used all the typical uh, sloganeering that you would have heard a thousand times from Newt Gingrich.
0: Yeah, I loved you
1: back in when the Republican Party <laughs> was that type of party. Right. Now, I don't know if it's
0: even a Republican Party anymore. Yeah,
1: yeah, I don't know. It's, it's the party of Trump. Ah. Uh, but anyway, uh, so everybody, I hope you've enjoyed. Be, again, be sure to share. Have a conversation. Uh, you know, do what you can to bridge the gap. Because, um, uh, like Courtney said, we're not going to make any progress uh, until we have those hard conversations. Take care, everybody. God bless. And again, jimmystable.com, where I'm having conversations about faith, life, culture, and sometimes food. Do you see the light? What light? Have you seen the light? Yes!
0: Yes! I have seen the light!
1: There is much.